things in two chunks uh, during this year. And today is the day when we will consign to the annals, to the archive of CBC history, uh, the word that we made up, the word devotement. It will disappear from our vocabulary as of today. That is until I write my book. And yes, I do have the copyright on it, uh, so no one else is going to steal it. Devotement. Well, James uh, Webb, who teaches English last weekend, informed me that the word devotement is a portmanteau. Did anyone, anyone know that? A portmanteau. Uh, a word that results from blending together two or more words expressing some combination of the meaning of its parts. <laughs> so there, a portmanteau. Our blended words were devoted and commitment, and we end up with the word devotement, what all disciples, what all followers of Jesus are called to. Now, if you've missed any of the eight messages in our devotement series, part one and two combined, the good news is you can find them on CBC's YouTube channel. Uh, four hours of listening pleasure, uh, 29 minutes of Kay, and 168 minutes of me. Uh, don't ever tell me that we're not the church he doesn't know how to give. You are blessed. <laughs> of course, the really good news with YouTube is you can watch them back at double speed. So it's just two hours uh, if you're in a hurry. So this morning, we wrap up our series thinking about a call to giving. Now, our scripture reading this morning is the most incredible story of uh, God's provision. As he chooses to partner with his chosen people, as he calls them to be a worshipping and a witnessing community in the days of Moses. Now, a story which we'll turn to in a moment is captured in Exodus chapter 35 and 36. Now, these were words, this was the experience of God's people thousands of years before Jesus came. And yet, as we turn to these scriptures this morning, I think you'll discover there's something really fresh for us uh, that we can be taught uh, from these verses today as we join into being a worshipping and a witnessing community using the resources that God has already given to us to use. Now, at the point when we're going to join the story this morning, Moses, their leader, is charged with leading his people with a very specific task. The call on Moses' life at this moment is to lead God's people away from the false gods of their pagan neighbors. They, they've fallen into the trap of pagan worship and all sorts of bad practice. Now, in truth, this was like moving an oil tanker, but somehow with the strength that God gives, Moses is able to make incredibly good progress. Well, back just before the chapters we're looking at today in Exodus 34, God makes this amazing statement to Moses, which is the most quoted verse of Scripture in Scripture by Scripture. Did you get that? The most quoted verse of Scripture in Scripture by Scripture. These verses are repeated all over the place in the New and in the Old Testament. Caroline began our service with them. Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7 the Lord is gracious and he is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Well, Moses hears those words from God and he responds with his face bowed down to the floor in verse 8 and he says, Lord, if I found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. If I found favor, Lord, then let the Lord go with us. And then he says this, although we are a stiff-necked people, well, that's an understatement, a stiff-necked people. I would add stiff-necked, hard-headed, cold-hearted, although we're all those things, Moses says to God, Lord, would you forgive our wickedness and our sin, and would you take us as your inheritance? 
What incredible words. Lord, look how bad we are. Look how much we failed you. Lord, would you forgive us? And would you take us to be your inheritance? And then God makes a response, which is just mind-blowing. God responds with a covenant promise which reveals his abundant grace to this stiff-necked people. Moses writes down the words of the promise in the form of the Ten Commandments, and then he comes down from Mount Sinai with the tablets, one under each arm, and the people look at him, and Moses' face is just glowing. He's got like a Holy Spirit, ready black glow on his face, and everyone just knew that Moses must have been in the presence of God. That's the context as we join the story in Exodus 35 today, and what we see is the response of a leader and of his people who have been the beneficiaries of the most overwhelming, undeserved, and lavish grace of God. Have you ever been the recipient of that love? I have. That's what we find this morning. But also we see the response of people when they have been recipients of such lavish grace. Exodus 34, I'm going to read from uh, verse 4. If you've got a Bible, do um, try and keep your, your finger in the right page. Sorry, verse 35. It says this, Moses said to the whole Israelite community... This is what the Lord your God has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold and silver and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair. There it is, goat hair. And scarlet yarn and fine linen, ramskins dyed red, and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil uh, for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod, ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and to make everything that the Lord has commanded. And then together they build the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar, the curtains, and the woven garments. So what was God calling his people to do in this particular moment of their particular walk with him? Well, quite simply, they were to build a massive tent now, the posh term for what they were to build was a tabernacle, but actually when you strip all this back to basics and you take away all the religious jargon and the artifacts, what you're left with is a massive tent with various internal sections and different pieces of furniture in the different zones. But this was no ordinary tent. We're talking about an M&S tent here. We're not talking about a little tent. Now, I don't know about you, but as a mission, that sounds a little bit disappointing, doesn't it? Just put up a tent. But actually, we need to remind ourselves that the building of this tabernacle is actually the climax of the book of Exodus. It's the climax of the book of Exodus. Well, why is this moment so important? Well, Scripture tells us, if you go back to chapter 25 of Exodus, verse 8, God says, let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell amongst them. Let them make a sanctuary, and once they've made a sanctuary, I'm going to dwell amongst them. They were building, if you like, a national worship center where the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, was going to come and reside and be right in the middle of their community. This tent was the means by which God, God Emmanuel, would be God with his people right in the center of their midst. So here we have God's people who have not only been rescued from slavery, but too they've been rescued for a purpose, and God is at the very center of all of it. Now, we're told in uh, Exodus 25 that they'd been saved to experience life with God. The, the amazing promise from their rescuing God is that he was going to live with them. 
He wasn't going to be a God who was far away, not a, a God who's far off in a distant galaxy, but he's going to be a God who's up close and a God who's personal, a God who's going to dwell amongst his people. This is intense stuff. Like what I did there? Guys, did you get my tent joke? Sorry, I'm just trying to canvas some support for that joke. Anyway, right, let's move on. Now, of course, we know, don't we, living this side of the cross, it didn't go any better in the first service, we know living this side of the cross that the God of the universe can never, ever be contained within a tent, certainly not a tent that's been fashioned by human hands. But in this moment in history, God is identifying with his people in a very, very tangible way. These are nomadic people, remember, living in tents. So by choosing to have this tabernacle erected at the very center of a tented community, God is saying as clearly and as cult- in a culturally relevant way as he possibly can, I'm the God who's with you. I'm the God who's close to you. I'm not the God who's far away. I want to be in close proximity to the people who I have saved. That was God's desire then, and it is still God's desire today. God does not desire for anyone to live aloof from him. So that's the good news. And the good news hasn't changed even today, albeit, of course, we know God doesn't dwell in a tent. He dwells in the hearts and in the lives of those who love his son, Jesus. You know, what I love about this Bible story is that God invites his people to join in with God's mission and ministry. That's why they were invited to to build the, the tabernacle. Now, in truth, God could have done all this without them. He didn't need them to help. He could have led people into a relationship with, uh, without them. But instead, he chooses to partner with this stiff-necked people. Do you know there's hope for me? Maybe there's hope for you this morning if you sense you're stiff-necked or cold-hearted or hard-headed or whatever. But they weren't just building a building for building's sake. They were building a physical resource that God would use for his ongoing mission and ministry of being a worshipping and a witnessing community. Now, I know what you're thinking right now, and if you're not thinking it, you should be thinking it. I thought this message was supposed to be about giving, and you know, he's already six minutes in, and he hasn't once mentioned money. (laughs) And you know, there's a reason for that, which we're about to discover. You see, at the end of the day, none of this is really about money in truth. All of this is about our heart condition with God, which is exactly what we discover from Exodus 35 and 36. And that's why I've not talked about money. Did you notice in verse 5 of chapter 35, Moses says something that's very significant. He says, as we build this tabernacle together, do so from what you have. Do so from what you have. In other words, God is making an invitation. Please, would you partner with me in this mission and this ministry that I'm so passionate about? Would you join with me? And as you join me, would you use the resources I've already given you for that very purpose? The only thing you need to be is open hand and not tight-fisted. Just open up your hands and you can join in with this mission. Well, as we heard, the list of the things that the people had in the day of Moses was really quite astonishing, wasn't it? Gold and silver, bronze, fine linens, leather, wood, precious oils, and so the list goes on. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking to myself, where on earth did they get all this stuff from? These were people who had been in slavery. They were supposed to be impoverished. Where did they get all this gear from? Did they just stumble across it as they were wandering through the desert with their metal detectors? Well, the answer's found back in Exodus chapter 12 when God first appears to Moses at the burning bush. 
It says this, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them. The Israelites gave them what they asked for. Isn't this brilliant that God knew what was needed to fulfill a future mission and so he makes sure that at a point back in history that the people have the very resources they need so they can respond to that mission immediately. God's resources were already in their possession. Everything they needed to be generous in response was already in their hands or in their pockets. Of course, the big question is this, is would they be willing to let go of the very things that God had blessed them with? And you know, here's the challenging bit. What we discover as we read on is it wasn't only the ones and the twos of the community who responded, but it says the whole community The whole community willingly responded with open hands. That's what the text says. Well, how do we know that? Because there's a repeated refrain throughout Exodus 35 as we read on. Verse 20, everyone who was willing, whose heart moved them, brought an offering. All who were willing, men and women alike, brought jewelry of all kinds, verse 22. Verse 24, it's a verse for the women. All the women who were willing spun goat hair. Are you willing to spin some goat hair? If you are, then uh, please do spin some, not only the women, the men as well. Why not? Verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing bought a free will offering. You see, everyone, all are included so long as they were willing. And there's a couple of things that strike me from those particular verses. First one is that everybody had the opportunity to give as they were able. No one was excluded regardless of the size of their wallets or their bank balances. If they had money, they gave money. If they had gold, then they gave gold. If they had goat hair, then they gave some goat hair. You find that in my wallet. If they had kettle, then they would give ram skins. They would generously even share the talents and the skills that God had blessed them with. But secondly, they were not giving just because Moses had told them that they should give. You know, there's not an ounce in this story, is there, of manipulation or coercion. But they give because God's vision has gripped their hearts. Yes, Moses uh, shares the vision, in a sense, on behalf of God. But the people were so convinced that this vision was of God that they gave those things that God had already blessed them with. But thirdly, and perhaps most significantly, they only gave if they were willing. They only gave if they were willing. There's nothing half-hearted about their giving, is there? This is wholehearted giving. These people are eager to give. And that's why this message isn't really about money. It's really about our heart condition before God. You see, without their willing hearts, there was no tabernacle. Without their willing hearts, there was no gold. There was no silver to build the furniture. Without their willing hearts, there was no goat hair to do whatever it was they were going to do with the goat hair. You see, we should let our love of God lead our giving. It's our love of God and our love for God that should lead our giving. It's about being willing-hearted, and if we are not willing-hearted, then our giving is not required. I really did just say that. You should see the look on the treasurer's face. You see, if our giving is not willing-hearted, then it's not actually required. The Apostle Paul said something very similar, didn't he, about giving in his day. He said, each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful, literally translated, God loves an hilarious giver. That's what it means. 
The giver who just laughs about their giving and finds the whole thing absolutely hilarious. I love the message translation of these verses from 2 Corinthians. It says this, Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and against arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. And isn't that exactly what's happening here in Exodus chapter 35? The people think this whole thing is hilarious. They delight and they're absolutely eager in their giving. They're they're open-handed. They're open-hearted. These people are just giving stuff, even though Moses had just described them as being stiff-necked and cold-hearted and hard-headed. These people are giving open-handedly in response to their God. In fact, they're so willing and they're so moved that no one is having to have their arm twisted. Did you notice Moses didn't offer a long sermon just before the offering bag went round? You've been to those churches? I have. I'll never forget uh, a few years ago, I went to a church where the speaker at the front gave a long sermon. And at the end of the sermon, he said, uh, come on, get your credit cards out. Get them out right now. Hold them high above your head. Lift it higher, lift it higher. And then he must have seen someone who was starting to drop their arm. And he said, don't you dare put that credit card back in your pocket. (laughs) Moses doesn't need to do that. And we shouldn't need to do that. Because our giving should flow out of a response of how we've been stirred in the heart by God. Because he's given his grace so lavishly to us. Here are people who are just moved to partner with God in his mission and his ministry. And when they've decided that they're willing to give, they just privately let go of the resources that God has blessed them with. No coercion, no manipulation, just hearts that are willing and hearts that are eager. And you'll notice that God's call goes out to everybody. It goes out to the wealthy, but it goes out to everyone else as well. The the people respond as their hearts move them. You see, the quantity of their giving mattered less than the quality of their giving. That's so important. The quantity of their giving mattered less than the quality of their giving. Remember the story of the widow's mite? Jesus doesn't criticize, does he, the the quantity of her giving, but he does heartily commend her for the quality of her giving. You don't have to be rich to be generous. Listen to what happens next in the story. It gets even better. Uh, Chapter 36, verse 3. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the work on the sanctuary, uh, hang on a minute, let's try again. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing. And they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. And then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word out throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they already had more than enough to do all of the work. Isn't that a brilliant verse? Verse 5, they were restrained from bringing any more. Isn't that just the most staggering statement that you've ever heard? What a a brilliant, mind-blowing situation to find themselves in. I can think of an occasion when we've been in that place in the life of the church here. Do you remember back to the beginning of the year when we invited the community and the church family to bring gifts for Ukraine? We had to say, stop, no more. Please stop giving. Your generosity literally is overwhelming. 
And here we have the people of God, so eager, so moved, so hilarious that they had to be told to stop giving. I just picture Moses kind of pinning somebody to the floor in a strong position, saying, no more, please take your gift away with, we, uh, away with you. We don't have room for it. You see, their love of God is leading them in their giving. They've been recipients of abundant and lavish grace, and their hearts respond abundantly and lavishly with the gifts towards the mission and ministry. Why were God's people so generous? Well, it doesn't tell us explicitly in the text, but as you zoom out from the story, it's really obvious. Because here are a people who had been rescued from slavery, who'd been the recipients of God's lavish grace. And the natural response when you've been a recipient of lavish grace is to allow your grateful heart to overflow. They open their hands because their hearts and their heads told them that's what they should do in response to the lavish grace of God. Imagine for a moment you were an outsider watching all of this going on. I mean, if a financial advisor looked at this situation, they would think that it was absolutely ludicrous, and it was. The Israelites are generously contributing towards something that would eventually just be a shining gold and silver structure in the middle of a dry and a barren wasteland. That's what was going on. It makes absolutely no sense. And yet the people are responding to the, the, the call of God and their generosity reveals something that happens when people discover that they're saved by grace. Their heart just wants to respond because they're so grateful for all that God has done. I want to leave you this morning with three words, and these are literally three words with two sentences attached to each. As we think about our giving, and I guess this now is about money, as we think about our giving, we need to think about four E's. The first is we need to make sure that our giving is established. In other words, that it's regular. And can I encourage you this morning, if you're not yet giving to the mission and the ministry of CBC, if your heart is stirred and God makes you eager to do so, can I encourage you to give towards the ministry that you're benefiting from? Can I encourage you to make sure you establish some giving to the local church? Can I secondly encourage you to examine you're giving. Make sure that your, your giving is examined or it's reviewed. Do you know, I can't tell you how easy it is to set up a standing order and forget about it. Sometimes it's right to increase that standing order depending upon our circumstances. Sometimes it's right to decrease the standing order depending on our circumstances. Yes, I did just say that. But the important thing, and this comes out in our text and in those words of the Apostle Paul, is that we examine our giving to make sure it's in line with what God would have us give to a specific cause. Make sure your giving's established, make sure it's examined, and then finally, can I encourage you to make sure your giving is efficient? Do you know that the government love to give us 25p back for every pound that is given in offerings? He loves to do that if we're a taxpayer. And can I encourage you this morning to make sure your giving is efficient, firstly, by having it on standing order, uh, by secondly, uh, making sure that you've signed a gift aid declaration if you've paid tax in the last four, last four years or you're, you're paying tax now. The government would love to give us money. They really are generous. Our giving needs to be established. It needs to be examined. It needs to be efficient. But do you know what? None of that matters if our giving isn't first eager, if it isn't first willing-hearted. And you see, that's why this isn't about money. This is really about our heart condition before God, because willing hearts are hearts that just give because we've been recipients of the mind-blowing grace of God. Have you received the grace of God? 
Have you been a recipient of that lavish love that he just delights in bestowing upon those who will call him his son? I have been. And I've got a grateful heart in response. Would you allow your love of God to lead you in your giving, whatever that looks like? As we come to a close in this teaching series, you know it seems such an appropriate place to end, doesn't it? Because the call throughout this development series has been about plugging in with God and being deeply connected with him. And actually, I didn't tell you this before because you wouldn't have turned up at the beginning of the eight-week series. That actually was the message every single week. Every single week was the call to go deeply in your relationship with God. He doesn't want to be a God who holds you at arm's length. But he's a God who welcomes you, who even runs towards you to express his lavish grace and love towards you. Can we be still? Let's respond together. Let's surrender afresh this morning our hearts to a God who knows those hearts inside out. He knows that we're a a stiff-necked, cold-hearted people, and yet he welcomes souls like me. Thank you, Lord. We thank you. Four hours of talk. One word that really captures it all. Devotement. And Lord, at the end of this teaching series, even at the end of a preach on giving, we surrender back to you our hearts, our very lives. We offer back to you all the amazing things that you've blessed us with. And Lord, we hear the challenge this morning to plug in with all those spiritual disciplines that we've talked about during this series. To engage in worship, to engage in witness with you as a simple overflow of our joyful and our grateful hearts for all that you've done for us. Lord, this morning we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's died for us. The perfect death to make a way so that I could be in relationship with you, our amazing Heavenly Father. Lord, I'm so grateful. We're grateful this morning as a church community. Lord, just in a few moments of stillness, Lord, would you grow our love for you Would you take us deeper, wider, higher in our walk of faith than we've ever been before? Come, Lord Jesus. We're going to sing a song together. With the words, I will offer up my life in spirit and truth, pouring out the oil of love as my worship to you in surrender. I must give my every part. Lord, receive this sacrifice 
of a broken heart. Let's stand together, shall we, as we sing.